lovely to meet you. Um, yeah, you too. Yeah, heard, yeah. Heard good things. Oh, oh good. I've heard I likewise. I've heard wonderful things about you. <laughs> so yeah, I'm super excited for you guys to meet each other. Yeah. yeah. How long have you guys been playing D and D together? Uh, over over a year now. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a year. I think Eric and I met at a uh, at an archery club, and um, and I was just like you know, kind of building a building the world that we were playing in and was really excited about it and was like you know talking to absolutely anybody that would have willing to listen to me talk about it um and uh, <laughs> eric was super interested and so we ended up uh ended up joining our game and has been and it's been awesome uh i, I really i'm really glad to have have you have you there for it i think it's uh, wonderful. hell yeah it's, it's it's one of one of the highlights of, of my week Ditto. absolutely yeah. absolutely so uh, welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor, and we're joined by a special guest today, Walker Roman. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. This is lovely. Yeah, glad, glad you're here. Welcome to the show. Uh, so Walker is a local artist and creator living on Martha's Vineyard, the island in <coughs> Massachusetts. So Walker, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, uh, your history as an artist? Um, sure, sure. Um, the the way I kind of like to uh, talk about my history as an artist is uh, is that I, I just never really stopped uh, doing all of those things. You know, I feel like when when we're young, we're all. You know, if you ask like any like like uh, like nine year old, like any nine year old is like the greatest Renaissance person you've ever met. You know, like do you dance? Yes. Do you play the flute? Sure. Do you draw? Absolutely. You know, uh, you know. Yeah. Do you you do all of these things? And like eventually, as we get older, we just like stop doing some of those things. Either be, you know for for you know tons of different reasons. Um, and um, uh, painting for me, painting and and drawing. Um, and uh, was just the thing that like just always stuck around, and I and I never really stopped doing it. Um, and I think that there was a uh, just always a um, uh, a, a fascination with like the physicality of materials. Um, you know, whether it was like 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 for for, for me, I think you know uh, like quite, quite literally like playing with mud as a child is not entirely different from like playing with paint um like they're they totally. are like uh both of them have dirt in them uh one of them <laughs> one of them is just an aqueous medium bound in water and the other one is a oil soluble medium bound in vegetable fat like it's it's mm. very similar <laughs> as far as i'm concerned um, that's cool yeah hmm. i never thought about so that's like oil oil paints have vegetable fat in them or yeah yeah it's it's, it's linseed oil um it's uh interesting it's, it's literally just like made from flax seeds, um, which mm. is yeah, which is which is an amazing polymer. It turns out uh, it's, it's incredible, chemically incredible. Uh, so wild, yeah. Wow. I never thought about that. Yeah. So coming out of childhood, you went uh, to art school. Yes, yes, yes. I studied. Um, I studied painting at Mass Art in Boston. Um, it, was, it was a four-year program, and. Uh, um, had uh, a hell of a time while I was there. It was wonderful. Um, and uh, and actually, it's really interesting that you that you mention. Uh, you know, reading over our notes for this for this conversation, there was so many of my experiences there that I realize uh, have have shaped my 
goals and understandings of mm. uh, role playing games in general. Um, so I think there's there's cool. there's a lot of back and forth <laughs> there, and and it was interesting too because you know as a as a kid, um, you know. I think a lot of us kind of have our first interactions with with role playing games when we're when we're really young, maybe when we're like you know eight or nine or ten or something like that, um, and that was my experience. And then I didn't really, I didn't really play a role playing game uh, until I was uh, probably in college, honestly. Um, hmm. You know, like like full, like have a committed like group and a dungeon master and and a campaign and a theme and all these kinds of things, and um, it was really interesting that that was something again that was happening at that same time uh while i was you know learning mm. about my profession and learning about art at uh at mass art in boston wow yeah that's really really fascinating i, I feel like Tre- trevor maybe maybe you have the same experience that uh you know i feel like a lot of people have gotten into D as kids uh when, when they were younger but maybe that was more uh in the past and because i think there's a lot of people coming to dnd uh as adults in college and and after yeah so i know i mean growing up my only point of reference was that i knew my dad played dnd when he was in like middle school and high school and I, for the longest time i was like that's the nerdiest shit ever like i can't <laughs> imagine actually doing that you know <laughs> um, and and uh but then i got i got to high school and and uh uh my my now partner Maddie, who who we met senior year of high school, she got me into playing D anD D with her her friend group, and so that's kind of how I got introduced to it. It wasn't until wasn't until like yeah last year of high school. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's great. How it, and I think it's kind of telling of the the malleability of the of of role playing games in general is that your your ability to uh, kind of understand and relate to it, like was radically changed just through another person, right? Like your, mm-hmm. your, your relationship with your dad is one thing and you have these preconceptions about like, you know, oh, my dad is a nerd or whatever. And, and yeah. this is, him and his nerd friends do this. And then, and then the game itself is like, you know, completely re, re uh, contextualized with other people, which is, mm-hmm. and then and you're like, Oh, this is amazing. I love this. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my first exposure to D&D was when I was in elementary school and there's this older kid, Patrick, who had very bad hygiene and was like <laughs> kind of like your typical social outcast. Uh, at that time, he was just like a nice kid and then he like later started becoming meaner as people, you know, abused him all the time. Um, but he had very horrible hygiene and uh, my experience with D&D was he was on the bus with me and he had the player's uh, handbook that he got from the library, hard hardcover copy, and he hawks a huge loogie, <laughs> spits it on the cover of the <laughs> library book, and then licks it up. Wow! Wow! That's that is a that is a uh, <laughs> absurd intro. Uh, was I'm, and I'm just I'm just curious. Was this like a second ed or a third ed? I'm trying to think of the time of. Uh, you know, I had no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just thinking the third ed had that glossy surface that might have been easier to lick. You know, the, it did have a oh, glossy okay, surface. Okay, okay, so at least it was a little bit easier to clean, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. So kind of, kind of a, a drastic turnaround going from that first exposure to how I feel about it now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, no. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Which, which grade <laughs> did you say that was? Oh, I don't know. Sometime in elementary school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would that would deter me from engaging in that activity for a while. Um, I think, I think like, this is the behavior and and uh, that is associated with this. No, thank you. Um, yeah. 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 So there's these kind of uh, stereotypes, right, that are built around D and D in general. Of of you know, it's it's like the thing for the weirdos and the outcasts, the the dorky dads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. I think, I, and and I'm not really sure as to like why exactly that that uh, that conception like persists. I think it's. Um, uh, I, maybe maybe just that it's like what it requires is like it uh there's there's a like lack of guardedness um and and uh willingness to like expose yourself in a potentially embarrassing way uh that mm. that the game requires i think or at least when it's played well uh it, that that is kind of engaged with by the players um and the dungeon master um right and and then just routinely um we like to uh we like to admonish those people. Uh, that's kind of just a, a uh, kind of like, it seems to me like a routinely, uh, a routine, uh, I don't know, practice socially. It's like, oh, this, this person is, is exposed and, uh, and, and vulnerable and uh, potentially making a fool of themselves. Um, we should, mm. we should not associate with that person, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so maybe, I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it. I think it's, I think it's also, we have, we have video games now and people are, are, I think people question why, you know, why, why, why are you just going to sit in a room with your friends with a bunch of little plastic figures and, you know, pretend like stuff is happening when you could be seeing it in 3d and really high definition and, you know, mm. all the, all the animation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the obvious answer for me is, is if it's just, if you're imagining things like, you know, there is like no restrictions. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it re- actually requires, you know, like concentration and, and actual, you know, active imagination, which I yeah. think is, is, yeah, so much, well, it, yeah, it has, has much different like benefits than just playing video games for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like, uh, it's, it is, you know, role-playing games, um, they're pro-social, right? Um, they, they are an act of socializing. And, um, even if you are playing a video game and you're playing with other people like over, over, you know, a group game or something like that, I, I feel like it's still, it's like social adjacent. Like there are these like social elements mm-hmm. to it, but it is itself not a social activity. Um, and, uh, right. and, and in that way, I think, um, just won't ever, you can't, you know, you, you can't, you, the game isn't looking and talking to other people. That's something that happens during the game when you're playing a video game. But when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, the game is looking and talking to other people. Um, and, and those are very different, you know, mm-hmm. uh, never, never mind. Like, you know, I have like, obviously there's like lots of things to talk about with like the, <laughs> the ability of your imagination and the, the, the limits. And like you mentioned, and like the, 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 the softness of it all. Right. It's kind of wonderful. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also the element that like video games for the most part are created, you know, by a group of developers and it's like pretty set in stone what you can and can't do. Whereas in D and D, you know, the only limit is your imagination. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, I mean like how, how, how do you guys feel about like how the act of, creation as a group of people collaboratively uh, affects the experience 
I I think it's it, it, I think it's a uniquely it's a very unique creative environment or creative uh, practice where yeah like you said with a, like a video game is even the most open uh, game imaginable is still predetermined um, and bound right by its code um, and has uh, you know a, a centralized authoring force right which is like the developer team um, hmm. as where a you know a Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons game is is constantly being authored by everyone who's participating in it and it's it's never it's it's in this constant state it's 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 like a piece of music in that way right it's in this constant state of being created and decaying um Mm. that's something like a video game isn't or can't be um and uh or or maybe it's like theater in that way um and i i like the idea of like i i can't i can't think and we've talked about a bit about this eric like I, i i can't think of any other um anything activity or game or or creative endeavor where there is a group of people that are co-authoring a story um over this extended time frame um Mm. you know we kind of see that happen in like improv theater where you get together you're like okay here's the scene and you guys are the eight players and go you know but but those you know even even some of the most ambitious pieces of improv theater, um, you know, maybe last an hour, two hours, something like that. Um, as where mm-hmm. here is something that's happening like episodically for like three or four hours at a time, and it can and it can elapse over years, right? Like there's there's just nothing else that does that, and and it's so unique in that way, which is it's wonderful. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and everyone's kind of trying to figure out who their character is, and developing them, you know, all all at the same time. Well, no one really knows. Like yeah, just like an improv, no one really knows where their character is going to end up, but they they try to figure out what kind of what principles their character has and how they determine how to act and that kind of thing. And and yeah, the, the way that the way that works itself out is just so unpredictable and and nonlinear. It makes it really exciting. Yeah, and and it's interesting. Like I I try to like I try to I, I I've done like a little bit of improv theater, and I try to incorporate as much of that as possible into into running a game. Um, and like just like saying yes, but you know, any anytime there's a question, <laughs> um, yes, but uh, this this this, or yes, and this and this and this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and those are great ways to because uh, I think I think that's one of the things that that's at least for me as a, as a player that's most like personally frustrating is, is like agency denial um, from, from a, a dungeon master when you're saying, Oh, I, mm. I, I would like to enact, you know, this thing. And it's just like a, no, you can't do that. Um, I flooped the pig. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I flew, exactly. Exactly. Like, no, you can't. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, 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 tr- I try to just do as much yes and as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I'd say that as a player in that kind of experience, that's, that is very rewarding to, to have uh, that sensation that your, your actions have actual consequences in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should give uh, like a super basic explanation of what D&D is and what the Dungeon Master does for, for people who have no idea what what we're talking about <laughs> totally yeah, that's, that's probably a good idea yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know eric do you want to do you want to start with that or um sure um so i guess dnd is basically a collaborative collaborative role-playing game where there's a fictional world that has been created by typically by one person the dungeon master where each player creates a character and interacts with the world 
uh, through a set of rules and through free improvisation. Uh, yeah, I think I think just like just to kind of like give give flavor, like I, it, it's usually uh, for the purpose of Dungeons and Dragons set in like a um, the players are all engaging in like a high fantasy environment, a la like Lord of the Rings or um, mm-hmm. uh, some kind of grand epic fantasy. There's magic and wizards and trolls and all those all those kinds of scary things. Um, but uh, you know, but but it is it is a small slice of the the role playing pie of course and there are many many other mechanics and settings and and game designs and things like that 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 dungeons and dragons is just a part of um right you know. and there's kind of like a, a a different game design a different world for pretty much every single campaign right yeah yeah it's interesting there's um and and i think that's another interesting like example of of or instance of co-authorship is that you know every every dungeons and dragons game happens in its own world um in in the instance the game that like eric and i are playing in um it's a game it's a world that i've created that's um you know inspired by some of my my histories and my events um but there's also uh like published settings that have been really like staples in the game for for decades um like the, like the forgotten realms is kind of this this uh the setting this world setting that that you know, dozens of people have authored it over the years and they've all kind of compiled mm-hmm. it into, into a number of source books that anybody can reference. And, uh, and it's a lot like the star Wars universe in that way, you know, like, like that's one of the things I think is really cool about the star Wars universe is, is, you know, George Lucas created these few movies, uh, you know, back in the seventies. Um, and, and from then there's, there's, you know, comics and and video games and uh graphic novel you know graphic novels and and you know this this explosion of media it expands upon the universe and there's and there's actually like a um you know there's like an office somewhere that employs like you know a few people full-time that keep that maintain the star wars universe timeline so that no Mm. one character is in two places at the same time and the entire universe is cohesive um which is super cool. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Star Wars, I'd love I'd love to hear if if you want to just share with us uh, a bit of your background, your inspiration for creating your current world. Yeah, um, Star Wars was definitely uh, an influence. Um, the world that we play in um, is called Jandar, um, and it was definitely very heavily influenced by. Um, uh, uh, a lot of like the desert planets um, in Star Wars, like Tatooine, and um, I'm trying to I'm, the name of the uh, from the new movie is escaping me. Uh, um, Something with a J. Oh gosh, I can't. Or remember. not? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but but uh, the, the, the desert planets of Star Wars were hugely influential um, in in uh, you know in their their scope and their emptiness. Um, but the other the other thing that was really influential was actually. Um, uh, a road trip that I took a few years ago, where I spent um, quite a lot of time in uh, in Utah and among the Red Rock in Utah, and in this desert environment mm-hmm. that I had never lived in before, um, and and just kind of experiencing, uh, wanting to go back there actually, um, and and felt like creating that world uh, that we could play in would be kind of my way of revisiting that place. Uh, wow! Yeah. yeah. Hmm. How long? How long were you working on this world before you started the actual campaign? Um, I would say probably uh, 
it was probably like three months, maybe three or four months from when I really started thinking about it and, and realizing like, what did I want the themes to be and what did I want the, where did I want it to be until we start actually, actually started playing. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, so if you're a DM, is, is, does all this stuff just kind of live in like, like a big word document or something or, or what, how do you, how do you organize it? <laughs> that is a constant struggle that I'm still figuring out. Um, the, uh, I started with like everything on paper and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, organize all these papers. And, um, and now it's just kind of turned into, um, it's funny. I, I think what's actually started to happen is that the best organizational tool has just been a giant word document that is that is built chronologically so i can i can roughly estimate and go back to like where our play sessions were and what happened and the you know of course and the whole thing is searchable and like it has all those lovely benefits of a digital document um Mm -hmm. but but there's you know there's i don't know there's uh there are a bunch of incredibly complicated tools for managing worlds that uh that i i feel like are total overkill um (laughs) that (laughs) um because like ultimately ultimately like um you know like there's like you can like oh you can you can have all your npcs in one place and you can like hyperlink them together to like different locations and then you can like have you know embed links in your npc profiles that goes to where they were born and like all these kind of things and and i was like you know what like guys it's all just it's all just made up you know, it doesn't, it, you're, you're not like, you're not, you know, you don't need to like keep records like the IRS or anything. Like you're just, it's, it's a game. Like, no, stop trying to turn yeah. this back into a video game. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Try, stop, stop trying to like make everything hyper accountable and just like accept the squishiness of it. Right. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, but have you, you also made like concept sketches of different things and, and like visual representations of what things are supposed to look like or or is it all kind of yeah i have it's it's been interesting how that's changed too uh covid has definitely impacted that um something that we did for our first sessions um i I actually don't even know if i don't even know if my players even got to see them all um something that i was really excited about was uh hand painting all of my own battle maps um and I had this like huge pad of grid paper, right? That was like a one inch grid. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I basically like with acrylic paints would go out and paint the battle map. Um, and I would make like, you know, maybe two or three of them a week. Um, and it was a, a really wonderful way for me to uh, just, just, you know, play around with paint and, um, and, and practice painting like, uh, economic, economically and quickly and with, with purpose. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I thought it was a nice treat too, for, as a player, I thought that was cool. Um, you get to see a new map that was, you know, this new handmade thing every week. Um, and, uh, and they weren't, you know, they weren't like, incredibly detailed. Like the, the ones that we use now primarily are, um, you know, we're, we're playing, uh, via roll 20, which is like a, a digital platform uh for playing and so everything is is digital and um there's people that make gorgeous battle maps and stuff like that that i steal uh but sometimes tinker with them in in photoshop and things like that but um Hmm. i'm I'm very much looking forward to once once we are all uh able to sit around a table together um Mm -hmm. and move little things um you know move those little things around a little uh piece of paper again (laughs) Looking forward to that too. That's pretty soon now, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think uh, I think was it Gus? Gus had just got his vaccine, and uh, uh, mm. Jared and Kate have both got their first dose. So, getting mm. we're getting there. Yeah. 
Oh, I thought I thought y'all were already in person. That I guess I we was, we we are. It's interesting. Yeah, we we do play in the same room, but just for the purpose of social distancing, we still use Roll Twenty for oh, uh, for I battle see. maps. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah, we're in this weird hybrid space uh, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward as well to being able to shed the masks just for the the social aspect. Oh my god! You yes, know? like it's it's great. Like getting in person and getting to meet you know every week pretty much and look into each other's eyes and shit but like there's also something i think in important about just being able to see people's faces yeah 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 and and i think that that kind of like touches back to like what we were talking about earlier with with video games you know when you're playing a video game with a friend you don't see their faces their the game isn't Mm -hmm. their faces you know it's not their expressions it's not their eye contact when you're playing D, &D, that's the game you know totally yeah Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I feel like D and D, you know, it originally had these stereotypes of, you know, the social outcasts getting together and, and hashing out their, their whatever, you know, just some sort of bonding experience, but there's been, I feel like there's been a pretty big resurgence lately of, you know, just young adults doing it as a, as a casual pastime. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's you know I don't know maybe there's it's it's part of like a greater like adoption of of uh, like what used to be nerd culture you know um, mm. and and maybe part of that I don't know maybe part of that is just like power uh, uh, power drift as people get older you know like the the comic nerds <laughs> are all like executive ages now you know um, <laughs> right. the people that yeah. like the people that like you think about it, like the people that like like you know the first wave of like American comic books really came out like after the war, right. Um, in the, in the mm-hmm. early fifties and like those kids that, uh, you know, that grew up reading Batman or Superman or something like that have had a lifetime to, uh, mainstream that subculture. Right. And, and I think like the Marvel movies are a great example or, of that or testament to that of, of these things that were like niche and nerdy are, super mainstream now like they are the mainstream you know um lord the lord of the rings films you know also um so so kind of bringing those things to the forefront um Mm. yeah i don't know what like what is like even i don't know maybe it begs the question like what is uh what is the new nerd culture right like what is the thing (laughs) is is it like i'm like you know is it is it uh is it like programmers maybe? I don't know. Like what is, what is like the new, the new, uh, degenerate stereotype that is like unappealing. And I, stinky? I, I actually, like, I, I have a theory about that. Yes. Oh, please it, tell us. <laughs> it's the furries. Oh no, I don't want to No, that's, Really? That's, oh. not nerd, well, that's no. not, that's not nerd culture though. That's like, a, that's like a separate thing. <laughs> well, it, it's not, but the thing about nerd culture is nerd culture, as Walker's just said, is becoming the mainstream. And the thing about what nerd culture was and what furry culture is, mm-hmm. is that there's this core inherent aspect of it, of being contrarian, being other than the the mainstream mm. Mm. And i think that's a major appeal for furries is, is just the the fact that it is weird that it raises eyebrows <laughs> that's interesting you're, you're, it is it is kind of like role-playing isn't it i mean you're like <laughs> in a way. it is a kind of role-playing absolutely yes. absolutely yeah you know, i think that's that's actually a really great point trevor it, it there, there are a lot of overlaps right like um there's a ton of overlaps like your your fursona is like not that different from your uh 
you know, your character that you play uh, at the table, maybe. Mm-hmm. You're just a character that you play in your furry suit. Like, yeah. Um, you're just yeah. you're dissolving all the boundaries, man, between like the game. And your <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, and maybe maybe there's something about that, like that that's maybe there's something to tie this back to like the comic book thing, right? That there's there's maybe this trend of uh, uh, I don't know if it's like I don't know if you want to say ego loss, maybe like ego displacement um, over over mm. the course of the 20th century, like the idea of uh, uh, all the superheroes have a secret identity, you know, and they're, they're they they really are something else. And that's, that's, that's something that's been like, you know, mainstreamed over the course of the decades. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I not, I don't have a super intimate look on like, you know, the, the furry mentality, but there's definitely like that idea of, uh, of, you know, you really are something else, right? Or that your your mm. your normal like the body you go to work in is your is your Clark Kent, you know, and then you go home and right. you're you're super furry or something, you know. Um, <laughs> like I don't know, yeah. maybe maybe there's maybe that maybe I'm grasping too much, but but I think that's a uh, interesting parallel. No, I think you're totally right, and um, I think this ties in as well to what we experience when we role play in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, because you know you you create this character and there are certain guidelines you you draw from but for the most part this is a person that you thought up a personality that you thought up and so it's like uh from yourself it's created from you but in some ways it is necessarily different from you because it's a construct and so it's this identity that is separate from you or rather different from you but of you Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think too, that there's, there's actually a, a, another interesting parallel between, you know, a, like on, on the identity side of it too, uh, I definitely, but also, um, that, that, uh, consent is a part of both of those things. Um, yes. And I think, and I think that's something that like that, that kink culture has down pat is the understanding mm-hmm. of like the necessity of consent. And, and that's something that like, doesn't really get talked about in a lot of other spaces. Um, mm. And in a sense, in, in, you know, uh, if you want to like, you know, pull that, uh, you know, kind of pull that apart a bit more in a role-playing game, like everyone at the table, like you, like you said, like the, the, the your imagination is boundless. Right. And, and that's, but that's chaos. Right. So you can't navigate that. Mm-hmm. And so what everyone has to do is consent to a set of rules um, and consent to, um, you know, okay, we are here um, in Jandar traveling a desert and we are agreeing that we are fighting this dragon or this, this mm-hmm. beetle creature. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's something that happens, you know, like uh, in, in, a, in a furry situation too, like you're, you're, you're consenting to the fiction, right? And everyone's agreeing right. about this fiction and, and, and therefore participating in it as, as a group. Um, yeah totally yeah and then the other element of of consent in in that is that uh you know consenting of what what ideas that you want to explore like that that kind of intense moment that you you created where you know after we slaughtered that uh town full of cultists you know it's like oh yeah but they're they're actually people that we all killed and they have families and then you, you 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 created that moment where like the kid of one of the people we killed comes up and like pathetically stabs one of our characters. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I thought as well, it was really valuable uh, how you handled that as, as a group in real life as well that you, you know, brought up, Hey, look, we're getting into some dark territory here. Are you guys comfortable exploring this? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. And cause it's, it's the thing that I think about is, is that it's, um, you know, it's not my game. It's, it's everybody's game. And, uh, and especially that, I mean, that happened relatively early in our campaign too. That maybe happened in like April or May, uh, yeah. just as we were going into lockdown. And, and it was something that I felt like for the story was, was, uh, something that I had wanted to explore in in the story was kind of exploring these these ideas of like hubris and and moral ambiguity, um, mm. and uh, but but there we are. It's like everyone everyone is you know emotionally frail <laughs> already, <laughs> um, and and we had to have a conversation about it with with all of our players. It was like you know Dungeons and Dragons right now is something that can be separate. Do we want it to just be this like you know? like total romp like you know fantasy world where there's there's not this like you know weight of reality and we kind of all talked about it and we're like no we we do want there to be like a a, um some seriousness and and some darkness in this world and so that was something that we continued to explore and i and i think have have, you know maybe not to such a degree uh as as that that incident you described but have kind of kept that as part of the game um definitely yeah wow yeah i've never been in a campaign that was that that kind of like seriously minded <laughs> and like yeah re- relevant relevant to to like current current events i get it never even occurred to me i'm sure yeah i'm sure that's that's wild to to be playing something like that right now yeah yeah mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that you bring up current events too uh trevor just because like that was uh when i was planning out the game um and, it, and it's interesting that it's it's kind of maybe not be not come as uh come to the forefront as much for the players as I initially had thought, but, but actually, uh, kind of addressing like some, some like larger political issues was like something that I had wanted to kind of like touch on through the, through the game. Um, and, uh, especially just in, in a moment of like deep, deep moral and political division, like how do we, uh, how do we reconcile our enemies really? Um, and, and why are, why do we, think why do we declare people enemies and and who are they and and you know are they worth uh can they be disposed of is that is you know what does that mean um those kinds of things um mm-hmm. and uh so I, I felt like that was a a very topical uh <laughs> topical theme to have uh in the in the world at the time yeah wow yeah that's just on another level than the other campaigns i've been a part of so what do you think what do you think makes someone a good dm I I think that's an interesting question. I think that their their ability to not be overly rigid. I think um you know the ability to improvise uh and not just improvise like you know for the sake of of creating noise, right? But but turning mm-hmm. improvisation into something that is coherent and meaningful mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. is is the the greatest thing you, it's funny you could say the same thing of like a um a, a soloist you know of, of a musician totally. like you can mm-hmm. like okay here's you know here's okay you're gonna play in this mode at you know at this many beats per minute and go for it and how mm-hmm. do you how do you turn that into something that is expressive and meaningful um and uh um so i think maybe maybe that's it the you know the ability to improvise and mm-hmm. create create meaning out of improvisation um mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true and essential. And then I think there's also another element, though. There's the element of craft, you know, the ability to have all of that and have all the details, have it balanced, have it uh, self-consistent. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Like the, the idea of craft is, is I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like through running this game, I have learned so much about storycraft um and actually spent a lot of time in, in the early stages listening to um listening to interviews with with authors um and uh uh screenwriters uh people who are who are writing episodes of um uh television series and things like that um and and understanding uh you know what are the mechanics of storytelling in the same way you know how do you how do you create a story how do you create meaning right like how do you right. create a meaningful story rather than just a series of events um that that maybe are tied by a theme or or a location mm -hmm. or something like that um so that's that's kind of like you know the craft right getting mm. getting the structure totally. understanding the structure yeah yeah, yeah. Did, did you ever read that book uh story by robert mckee no i didn't read that yeah, so he's like a screenwriter or was a screenwriter. And I, at one point in school, I, I tried to write a chamber opera and I tried to write the libretto for a chamber opera. And cool. so someone told me to, to read that book and I, I didn't finish it more before I finished the piece, which I should have, but I read it after. I was like, yeah, there's a bunch of really good, useful stuff in here about like, you know, how to develop mm -hmm. characters and like that, like the three act or, you know, multi-act structure and how that works and yeah and that kind of thing. There's, yeah, there's just so much to... So much to take into account. Yeah, yeah. Some, something, something that like that I've used that, like, all the time um, is the idea of the uh, the story circle, which is like an eight point, uh, a, a super common uh, writer's device. It's like an eight point circle, right? Mm -hmm. And um, basically, it's like uh, the character. Um, uh, let's see if I can remember them all. The uh, a character uh, has a need. Uh, you know, goes somewhere finds something, fulfills the need, journeys back, changes, and there's unexpected. And then there's something that's unexpected, right? Something unexpected comes from that change. And then you begin mm -hmm. the cycle over again. And mm -hmm. and something that I've done a lot um, throughout the game is looking at like, okay, where are we right now? Like here's here's the things that are happening with the players. Where are we on that wheel? And and as soon as I figure that out, I'm like, okay, I know where they've come from. And now I need and now I know how we need to move this this narrative forward um mm -hmm. and and create that that circle where they get to return back to something um so it's super simple right like it's it's a mm -hmm. it's it's an infographic you can look it up on google <laughs> but it's like <laughs> but it's but it's but it's incredibly useful just you just like you know yeah. knowing like the uh you have to know the major scale um in order to find <laughs> find, find your way around anything like you know, uh, yeah it's like the circle of fourths or whatever. yeah yeah exactly the circle, yeah exactly exactly uh -huh. um so so this is really fascinating because it seems like your probably your experience going through art school has lent uh, you a very particular perspective in how you approach creating at, as it relates to D and D. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that I think that the um, my my training as an artist uh, and my practice as an artist. I think the thing that it that it has taught me is uh, just being how how to be comfortable with the unknown 
and and mm. uh, not being afraid to navigate something without being able to see the finish, um, the finished product. Um, and mm. that is, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like the way that uh, I'm, I'm just realizing it now, like the the degree of realization that I have for uh, the game that we're playing as a whole uh, is very similar to the degree of realization that I often have for a piece of art um, mm. where it's, it's, uh, you know, it's maybe 30 or 40% complete in my mind. And I'm marching towards something like that. And, and, mm. you know, whatever happens along the way is what, creates the work right or what creates the game and and if i feel like if i do my job right as an artist and if i do my job right as a dm um those extra things that get filled in that extra 60 or 70 percent is just better than you know the conception i had um and that's really what flushes it out and really what makes uh makes the work or the the game uh like really fleshed out and really fulfilling yeah yeah you always get to that point where you it's like coming along like you have a bunch of stuff but you still have no idea how it how the you know the second half is going to work or what what's even going to happen or it it always feels kind of hopeless at at a certain point you just got to like trust trust yourself and and realize that you'll you'll figure it out you know as as you just kind of work on a lot of the little details and and yeah make yeah. make mistakes and and that kind of thing yeah, and and that's and that's where like the the you know the mechanics of the game are, uh, but that's where they help you. You know, um, they are the uh, the 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 tool that that helps you. You know, I don't know, inject inject randomness or whatever it is that you need into into uh, like the soup that you've created. Um, mm. And they're and they're consistent. You know, you're like I I need I need something to fight right now. Let me go to the table and look up the the bad guys that are in caves. You know, and there it is. And um, in the same way that I feel like you know, looking at um, uh, looking at a drawing, and I can look at it and I can say, okay, well, I know that I need to have uh, I this this needs to or this painting like this color painting needs to work in black and white first before it works in color so let me figure that out and that's consistent right and so that that's mm -hmm. again like that that kind of invisible structure the mechanics of the game or that invisible structure that that help you build upon or i don't know uh navigate that chaos maybe is, is maybe mm -hmm. what it is yeah totally yeah so so it might be a little bit of a tangent here but since we're talking about process so specifically i'm curious what kind of idioms you like to paint in and, and who, who your favorite painters are, or artists are, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I, uh, it, it, it always changes. Um, but I feel like the, um, uh, maybe the, the, the common thread is, uh, is artists who I feel like, you know, navigate that unknown and come out on the other side with something greater than they started with. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I've been really into, uh, Martin Purrier recently, who's like a uh, a living sculptor, um, he does these really interesting um, uh, sculptures that he then like translates into two dimensional prints. Um, and just the translation process, like if if you're some if you're familiar with like the idea of projections and geometry, he's kind of doing these like intuitive uh, reverse projections um, that are just super bizarre. And there, and um, I'm really into those. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. There's some wild, wild stuff. 
I, I feel like that thread of uh, pl- playing with like people's perception and you know di- like dissolving the borders of like what are you actually perceiving is kind of an extension of a larger trend in a lot of uh, academic art and, and art in general today, you know, across all mediums, and that is uh, a very deep uh exploration of postmodernism. Yeah. Yeah, keep no, keep keep going with that. That's really interesting. Yeah. It it reminds it reminds me a lot of of this style of music we've we Eric and I have talked about a lot called spectralism. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is I don't know if you're familiar with that at all or um so this is like uh contemporary classical classical music that kind of started in the the 70s, a certain style of that and it's based on like very slowly changing large scale forms with a lot of stuff that's based on like the limits of human perception as far as tuning and, and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, mm. Like things that are ascending very, very slowly in microtones or, mm. or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Exploration of liminal space. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the buzzword. Everyone we, was, we love talking using. about liminal space. Oh yeah. yeah. Cr- critics love our <laughs> liminal space, man. They love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's i don't know it's interesting I, I i feel like it's um it's it's something for me that uh gets gets lumped in with like the idea of a lot of postmodern ideas that I, and i think just because we don't know what else to call it um and i, and mm. I think but i think there's actually something that's like radically different um about mm. about that than or I don't know. I don't know. If maybe intellectually, there's something different, but but the way that I experience it is very different from the way I, I engage with like a lot of uh, mm. a lot of other like postmodern ideas or artists. Um, you know, I feel like I feel like that is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I. This is this is maybe real far stretch. Um, getting close to like notions of godliness, right? Experiences of God. Um, that that mm. the um, being able to tap into the. Uh, the barrier between like our our nervous system's ability to input and then process things and kind of play around with those things um is is uh uh mm. kind of hacking into uh where we drive where we derive meaning from um and rather than saying there is no meaning um or mm. or uh you know everything is referential and everything is valid or invalid it's it's kind of saying no 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 your like your body is in, is inherently valid and and understanding that like your body has limitations that that create your perceptions and create your life and for me like that uh mm. those ideas that you talked about with like spectralism um is very similar to like what James Terrell is doing is is a a refute a rebuttal against that and saying like no there is actually something that is like infinitely constant and that is like your own biology, and uh, wow. you can't refuse it, right? You can't, you can't not, like, like with 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 uh, some of like James Terrell's pieces. Regardless of what you think about them, you can't not have the experience that he has designed for you. There is no way to turn it off. Like he he has gotten into your eye and has given you an experience, and there's there's no way to refute it. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. That's that's 
maybe I'm getting a little grand there, but but uh, uh, <laughs> I think I think there's something inher- very meaningful about that 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 is very uh, uh, ardent in its assertion. Yeah, I feel maybe it's like the same kind of feeling you get when you go to like a sun like drone metal concert yes and completely immersed in the yes yes eric was talking about <laughs> that yes uh-huh. yeah absolutely no, that's totally exactly what it's like it, it's it's like a a god it, it really feels like there's this entity when you're at a sun concert this the sound manifests as like an entity and it's so loud and all pervasive that it's just simply irrefutable you can't get away from it it's just there and there's something like fundamentally comforting about that, like almost as if feeling like there's this entity that's protecting you because that's just the way it is. And maybe it hurts and maybe it is giving you permanent hearing damage, but it's still there for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it maybe it like changes your perception of time in the same way that, that James Terrell's art changes your perception of, of space because you... Yeah, you get yeah any any music like that that changes super slowly. Like your 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 perception of time is just gonna is gonna morph in some some interesting way. Absolutely, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think that that to to kind of tie this back into to role playing a little bit and tie this back into D and think that that is that that's what makes uh, role playing games so powerful is that there are. And this is again, we can get back to looking at faces and being pro-social is that like our bodies are hardwired to enjoy these kinds of social like interactions, right? We're, we're, we are hardwired to like enjoy social interactions and we are hardwired to seek narrative, right? And to, and to find narrative rewarding. And, and that essentially that's what, th- those are the two things that you're doing while playing Dungeons and Dragons is that you are you know, having a pro-social uh, interaction and you are collectively authoring a narrative. Um, and, and like your, your mind will create narratives out of anything. We want to do it, right? Our, our brains are designed to say, uh, A, the, you know, A, then B, there in C, therefore C happened because of A and B, right? Like we, we, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what's the Latin, uh, uh, post hoc ergo propter hoc is that what it is um that sounds right yeah yeah and um you know so so in, in a way i feel like you know role-playing games have that opportunity to kind of uh uh hijack that that constant which is your body right and, and hijack that constant mm. which is your um with your brain and say like these are the things that we know your brain likes and uh finds rewarding and so we're going to step into that space and play there that's that's where we're going to have our game right is in that space Mm -hmm. totally yeah so one thing i've noticed as we've been playing is and we've talked about this is how i have been progressively getting more and more attached to my character and i think everyone else in the group is feeling the same way and uh why do you think that is i mean definitely a part of it is the fact that there's a a real risk of dying of that character dying yeah but why why do you think we get attached to that character i i was thinking about this when i was looking over the notes and i i was actually thinking about um you know the idea that like uh like any anyone who's an actor right or studies acting will tell you that that 
uh, once you play a character, that per- that character is always a part of you, right? You you will carry that character around with you uh, forever, mm-hmm. and and they will come out at certain times, whether you maybe you want to them to or not. Um, and um, I, I think that that's uh, that's what happens, you know, when you're when you're play when you're when you're engaging in this uh, this long term long format improv game, which is Dungeons and Dragons. That's what starts to happen is that you know that that uh, that boundary, right. It gets a little blurry and washes back and forth a little mm. bit. And that's, and that's kind of like the, um, uh, uh, you know, just, just what happens when you're playing a character. But I think for, for a, from a personal perspective, it can be an immense opportunity for growth, right? Like, uh, mm. like anonymity and, uh, playing a role, um, can be enormously helpful in, in your real life when you're not playing the role. Right. Um, you know, like, like thinking about when you, when you go to, like, I I love going, um, I don't get to do it very often on this small Island that I live on. Uh, but I love going to parties where I don't know anybody. Um, Mm. because then I can just be whoever I want and I have this opportunity to, uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like one session of a game I can go and I can, and I can, (laughs) and I, and there's, you know, and I can test out these different, uh, you know, different versions of myself, right? Or these different possibilities mm-hmm. of myself. Um, and uh, like, oh, do I do I want to be this kind of person? What if what, what happens if you know how? What, what happens if I behave in this way that I never would behave? You know, uh, can I? And in a sense, I'm playing a character, right? Like I'm playing this potential of myself. Um, and I think in uh, o- over time, when you're when you're playing a character, in Dungeons and Dragons, you're you know sometimes playing a, pot- a potential of yourself and. Uh, you mm. you might come to really like that person um yeah right yeah and then totally <laughs> yeah eric and i have talked a little bit about how like how the brain works and how we think we have this one self that's constant but we actually have kind of different dif- different selves essentially that are that come out in certain situations you know whether we're with friends or at work or or you know with family or with certain family members and so yeah, the, the the idea of role play fits pretty neatly into that. That you can use that to explore like other selves you might have, and you know, and it's kind of yeah, it's like the the sandbox for for kind of figuring out things about yourself. Totally, you know, and and it's mm-hmm. interesting. We talk about like uh, you know, role playing is something that gets used in um, in like therapeutic contexts all the time, right? Totally. You know, even thinking about you know, in, in a kind of a stupid way, like if you guys remember, if you had like Dare, the Dare program in your school as a kid growing up, um, no. you guys remember that? It was so. it was like a, a anti drug and education thing that was like <laughs> you know terrible, um, and you know. Um, uh, and they would have you role play, you know, get up and like, okay, you are <clears throat> like you, you two students, you get up, you're going to sell that student, you know, some cocaine and you are going to refuse that offer. And that was the role play. Right. And so, <laughs> and so that was, and that was like a, you know, super awkward, like, uh, like, you know, the person teaching it, like, you know, went to like a, 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 a some kind of like seminar over a long weekend in order to teach you this class. But, but in, in a more serious context, like, like role-playing is used in uh, like, like very serious therapeutic practices all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, like in couples therapy, like, okay, you're going to switch roles and you're going to be the other person and you're going to tell me what you're thinking. Um, or, or uh, you know, we're going to practice, um, you know, you have a heart, you find routinely have a hard time asserting yourself. So we're going to role play a situation in which you have to assert yourself and uh, tell me your feelings. Right. Um, so there's, so there's, 
you know, definitely some very like serious benefits um, or applications for role playing outside of just games. Totally. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it might be it might be kind of a, a tangent, but um, I, it just occurred to me one of the one of the things I I learned a lot about when I read that book story is is like how important subtext is and how characters in movies are often not saying what they think, and that's kind of what the you know, that's kind of what drives a lot of the story is that whenever whenever they say something, it has certain subtext that they're not saying. Yeah. And, and you know, so the other characters all, are always trying to, you know, suss out what exactly is happening. And if you had a, you, you know, if you have a scene where people are just saying exactly what they are thinking to each other, it's super boring. <laughs> like, where's, you know, where's the, where's the drama in that? You, you just, you just explained musical theater to a T also. Like, I yeah. am so sad you died. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the thing. That's the thing. That, yeah. The, about, about musical theater. Cause like it is, it is okay to stay stuff, say stuff like that in arias. Cause that's when the characters, you know, that's like their inner monologue and they're expressing something maybe yeah. to themselves or, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys feel like subtext really comes into D and D a lot or. That's interesting. Um, hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Well, what I was just thinking about is that moment pretty recently when you had us meet the raven queen and the raven queen where, where, where did this construct come from is this from from the D oh, world that's, that's something that's interesting is like um so we have uh yes yeah, so the raven queen actually comes from uh like a lot of the published material i think from like the forgotten realms so so our game has mm. kind of been this interesting hodgepodge of uh uh, you know, stuff borrowed from other published settings, but she's she's a pretty consistent character in a lot of the other like published lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we had that 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 you know scene that you constructed where each of us has to face a, a traumatic instance from our past, you know, our character's past, and you know that that was emotionally potent. Like, mm-hmm. I think pretty much all of us kind of teared up a little bit when, when that happened. Um, so I, th- I think there's a certain sense in which the therapy is non-distinct from the game role-playing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like, you know, folds in nicely with like what we were talking about with consent earlier, right. Where, mm. where we have all kind of consented to this being a space where we can, uh, like have that emotional potency or have that opportunity for vulnerability. Um, and, uh, and it's only when you have, you know, consensus about those, about those things that, that, you know, everybody can explore them, right. Uh, with, to whatever degree mm-hmm. they're comfortable with. Um, and uh, I felt like that was something that, that, you know, all of the players and myself were, you know, had kind of, we had we had all kind of green lighted that that sort of of play, right? Of that that sort of of gameplay, um, right. and uh, and you're right, and and it's something that, that could have been it it would have failed, right? If um, uh, there was a player who like was not comfortable engaging with that, right? Or or mm-hmm. if I was uh, not comfortable as a as a DM uh, narrating those things, um, and that would have just made for bad gameplay. But I think because it was something that we were had all uh, we had all agreed on, um, you know, everybody was able to uh, bring their character to it in a way that that felt important. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because that's like I, I think about like you know when you're when you're trying to like have a uh, uh, like a, an intimate moment with maybe a group of people, and there's that one person who's just not comfortable enough with it, right? And maybe they 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 ruin it and make a joke or something, or or they uh, mm. you know or they they uh, change the subject or something like that, and and so that's kind of like a a, a denial of that, but only because like that person was not then like consenting to, to that situation. Right. Or, or to the, right. to that degree of vulnerability. Um, yeah. I think there's something powerful about the long term, uh, format of Dungeons and Dragons that allows us to all of the players to basically get on the same page about what we're consenting about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like in, in what other context do you meet with that? like size group of people like that regularly for a year unless you're in like a, a band or something i don't know but even then it's it's a different it's a different thing because you know you're yeah it's it's a different thing yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you want to support us somehow there's lots of ways you can do that you can go follow us on facebook or instagram or visit us online at postwavepodcast.com or send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on pretty much everyone out there. Give us a nice review if you're on a platform that supports that, or a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. That idea of consent is really interesting. I never really thought about that with like how, how it would relate to, to D and D. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I th- and I think, you know, cause, cause it, it, it kind of like, and maybe, maybe this is like where the subtext comes in, right? Like, like consent is kind of subtext all the time um, in, mm-hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of get your players together and you're like, okay, like, uh, what, what kind of game do we want to play? Do we want to play like a real hack and slash game? Do we want to like, you know, where do we want to play the game? Do you want to play at your house? Want to play at my house? You know, do you want to play? Uh, what is the setting like? And those those are all things that are, that are like instances of consent, right? That are uh, mm-hmm. that are that are subtext, right? And mm-hmm. and you know, you have you definitely have the opportunity to foreground it um, as as part of the game rather than just something that kind of helps uh, rather than something that just uh, helps build the game. You know, it kind of can become part of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, um, Trevor. Like, uh, I mean, I know, I know, obviously, a lot about like uh, the the kinds of games that like there or the experience that Eric has. Um, what what is your experience uh, with role playing games or Dungeons and Dragons specifically? Oh gosh, so um, so that first game I mentioned with my uh, my partner Maddie. It, this was just, like the senior year of high school, like pretty after, pretty pretty shortly after we started dating. And I was the only per- I was the only straight person in that group, and I didn't know it when I started playing with them. <laughs> and uh, so it was it was often very explicit and pretty lighthearted. And uh, <laughs> like I remember at one point, someone had to give a lap dance to a guard or something to like get him to let us into the whatever where we were trying to get. <laughs> um, so that, and that was like I forget how long it was for, maybe like a few months. 
mm-hmm. um, not super long. And then the other time was in college at CU with Eric, and I think that was our soft no freshman year. So- no, that was sophomore year because we were, we were sharing the apartment at that time. Oh, maybe I because I have I have a. I have a recollection of my freshman year, the first drink I had was mead, and I thought it was while playing Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe maybe it was <laughs> maybe it was uh before that when you were in the group yet. It might have just been with like Rachel and Matt and Logan. Hmm. I forget honestly. But yeah. And then 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 that I guess that turned into the other group with where Eric was also in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one was just for like a few sessions, right? I think so. Yeah, everyone was was busy. I, I think it's interesting that you bring up um, that 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 game. You were the only straight person uh, in that first game because I think there's <laughs> and and maybe maybe this is maybe this is like something that's like uh, I'm I'm stuck in my per, my own perspective as someone who identifies as bisexual. That like mm-hmm. there is a lot of overlap between the queer community and the Dungeons and Dragons or role playing game community. Mm-hmm. Have you have you guys found the same thing? I mean, it is kind of, it is kind of, you know, it does kind of go along with the, like, being considered nerds. And I mean, obviously, if you're LGBTQ, that is kind of like another, can be kind of an outsider group, right? So, like, the, I I definitely see how those two things could, could kind of, could, yeah, strengthen each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, true. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have, outside of that one group, I don't have super, super much experience with, with that. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Maybe I just, I just have like you know a lot of uh, obviously like a lot of queer friends, and almost all of them play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> my uh, my my only ex- other experience with D anD D was a short campaign when I was working at a coffee shop, and it was all just the employees at the coffee shop, and so you know, I think most most of the people there were straight, but it was just sort of like a we're all stressed out and we have no social life because we have this shitty job that takes up all our time. So the, we are the only people who we, we know. So let's hang out and play some D and D. That sounds, that sounds like a great, like some, like, you know, like, uh, like some great 20th century, uh, play, uh, a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, 20 something burned out 20 somethings that work in a coffee shop and play D and D. Like, I think like yeah. that, that could be a super interesting, uh, that itself, yeah. you know, could be a great, a great setup for a story. Right. Um, mm-hmm. oh, wow. <laughs> it's Labo M. I, I, what? It's Labo M. What's Labo, what's Labo M? Oh, it's, it's an opera. Uh, oh, okay. By okay. Puccini, but it's, uh, say, say, you know, a bunch of kind of, poor artists and, and that kind of thing living together and uh, okay oh, yeah, perfect yeah, yeah. yeah perfect <laughs> awesome oh, that's cool. great that's great yeah I, I would totally watch that definitely i think it's i think it's puccini i could be getting that wrong that's interesting so you, it sounds like you have you have uh you were you said you tried or you were writing uh an opera mm. at one yeah point. was that was that right did, did you get to complete it yeah, well, okay, so so the the deal was, see, you had this awesome uh, opera program called the CU New Opera Workshop, CU Now, and it started my freshman year, or maybe there was, I think they had done it for maybe one year before, but they, they picked three three or four student fellows to write, uh, like, eight-minute scenes, and then one person to write a 30-minute scene, and so my freshman year, I did the eight-minute scene, and I remember, like, I... Uh, second semester of my freshman year was was pretty rough and i got back for spring break and it was it was pretty rough and i had to finish this 
this like eight minute scene. I was like, I don't know if I can do it, but uh, it turned out really well. Like uh, people seem to like it. And so two years later, I got accepted to do the 30 minute scene and, you know, a 30 minute scene of a bigger thing slash maybe like a standalone one act chamber opera thing. Wow. And so I tried to cram way too much into it. So I, I based it on the life of Marie Curie, the, mm-hmm. the Polish French chemist who discovered uh, radium and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I bas- basically tried to cram her whole life into like this, like massive, you know, flashback she had, which is, you know, very like stereotypical storytelling device, right. For, <laughs> for that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so I re- I read like, three or four books cover to cover and just like with you know a bunch of post-its and stuff and tried to cobble together a libretto from uh like as much you know verbatim as i could condense down into something that could actually be sung and you know some some connecting stuff through in there so so, yeah it was it was (laughs) pretty pretty ambitious and then uh i've kind of told the story on the podcast before but uh we were we, we uh the CD year I did the workshop, uh, we got this really famous librettist brought in to help us. Uh, and he kind of just tore it apart on the week it was premiering and it kind of like crushed me a little bit. <laughs> um, so that, that was my experience. I mean, I, I, I'm proud of it. Like looking back on it, it's like it was kind of a achievement no matter what. But it was, uh, yeah, write, writing and structuring a story like that is not, you know, especially when you consider like writing dialogue and that kind of thing. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, there, yeah, there's so much to think about, and and I feel like too, like those those kinds of uh, grand grand creative endeavors, right? Regardless, uh, uh, regardless of their success, um, it, they pay dividends for for years afterwards. Um, you you mm. you know you you're so focused on on maybe accomplishing um, a, a task or completing a piece that you kind of don't realize how much you're learning along the way. Um, mm-hmm. and then you, and then all of a sudden you can, you're, you know, the next time you go to work on something, you're like, oh yeah, I know how to do that already. You know, <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I did that already. <laughs> totally. You know? Um, so yeah, yeah, that sounds like an awesome experience. Yeah, totally. You get, I mean, at the time that was by far the longest thing I'd ever worked on. So of course it seemed like this massive mm-hmm. undertaking, but, but mm-hmm. looking back, it's like, I fi- I finished, somehow finished it. And, and, and I knew, I knew going in that, you know, kind of my professor, professor just told me like, you know, it seems like a big thing, but uh, your first chamber opera is not going to be, you know, perfect. It, it's probably not even going to be good, you know, like, yes. it is like, uh, so you yes. kind of have to accept that going in. I, you know, you think you accept it and then you get so like invested in the amount of work, just like sheer work you put in yeah. that it, that it's really hard to, to have that mindset. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I think, I think too, that like, that's, um, you know, definitely a, a creative obstruction that you can definitely run into as a as a dungeon master. Um, that that mm. so so many people um, and I've and I've played in some of these games where they've these dungeon masters have have so like fully fleshed out this world and they've got like the, the pantheon of gods are are you know they've got they've got all these uh, you know every river is named and they. They have this grand story that they want to tell, and they got to set the villain up just right, and all those kinds of things, and and it ends up being uh, terribly stiff, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and, uh, uh, and 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 essentially like impossible to play because there's there is this very specific idea, uh, very grand specific idea of what the dungeon master has of as to what the game is going to be, um, that 
is just never really successful uh, from a, from I think from a player's perspective. Um, and uh, you know, getting getting to you know maybe maybe that's it. Like you know, trying trying to cram the entire life of uh, Mary Curie into uh, you know a thirty minute uh, a thirty minute piece. You know, is mm-hmm. is maybe maybe similar to doing that same kind of thing. Whereas it's it's, it's um, uh, incredibly difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. Kind of like you're, you've been saying, like the, the improvisation is a really important part of it. And if you have, if you have a really specific world, it's it's that makes the improvisation harder. Especially, you know, because the players probably have to keep more information in their heads, or feel feel like compelled to, you know, refer to things by all their like proper names. And if there's a lot of, yeah. you know, complicated stuff going on, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I think, and I think that definitely something that happens. Um, you know, all the time. And actually it happened and it happened in, in our game, uh, fairly, fairly early on where I had, that's right. I I had revealed that one character that they thought was a, was, was like an enemy, uh, was actually somebody else. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I had in my mind, I was like, Oh, this is going to be the, like the big first act reveal. Um, Mm -hmm. and we got to the scene and, um, you know, we, and I revealed the character and I don't think anybody picked it up because it was this this thing that, like i had spent so much time thinking about and and in in reality in the in like this you know this uh this 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 bad guy in the in the game just like wasn't that big of a deal um and the characters didn't have the uh there wasn't enough time spent on them for them to go huh you know that character's name actually sounds a lot like this other character's name who, right. who who we've been looking for and we know is missing, you know? Um, and, and, and so I was like, and I was like, oh, and their name is actually so-and-so. And, and everybody was just like, okay. Uh, and, 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 and it was this, 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 it just like this thing that fell flat. And it was, and that was a really big learning experience for me. I, realized, I was like, oh, like that was not something that was on my care, my player's radar at all like you know in, in, in any way and so uh you know i had to i had to make some adjustments from there <laughs> yeah yeah being able to like get in the head of the person you're you're like writing the thing for is is like so important yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah um and i and i think too something something that, that we kind of we we did um that was uh uniquely made has made this playing this game uniquely challenging is uh, or, or, or running this game uniquely challenging is um we kind of we didn't we didn't really have like a proper session zero uh with everybody and so a, a session zero for those who don't know is um basically before you play the first session of the game and character everybody gets together and we say okay this is my character uh who's your character and maybe um let's figure out how they're related or maybe they're from the same place or they have some kind of bond that ties them or mm-hmm. um you know what are their uh maybe what what are uh what's a little bit like how how can we weave these things together a little bit right and so mm-hmm. and so as a result um you know we have these characters that are from these like radically disparate places again a lot of them pulled from like other published material like the forgotten realms or uh or Greyhawk or something like that these other like settings that my players know um and and so i've been kind of tasked with the job of like okay 
how do we weave all of this together? Like in, you know, in this while playing the game, right? There's, there's been zero, none of it has been teed up ahead of time. And, and that's something that initially I was like, Oh fuck. Um, <laughs> you know, I have, I have really made a huge problem for myself. Um, but through working through the game has actually been a really interesting creative exercise in, in like, all right, like here are oh. these just completely random characters that have nothing to do mm. with one another. Mine, I, I think I created Ori before uh, even hearing about like the, any of the details of your world. And I based her off of a musician woman I know who used to have a, a big ass crush on when, at the time that I <laughs> created the character. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's like, it's like, so here, so, so like, that's what that character means to, or, you know, f- for Eric, right. Or that, that's where mm-hmm. that character is coming from for Eric. So like, how do I task that with, uh, you know, um, with, with uh, one of my other players, Gus, who. Uh, is hugely influenced by like seventies kung fu movies, you know. Like how <laughs> how do I do that? Um, and 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 that's been super interesting. Um, so so maybe I I probably won't do it again next time, but uh, this time at least it has been very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's it seems to have like worked very well as far as I can say. Great. I love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say anything yeah. else. <laughs> <You can> sp- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there was there wasn't a but after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And 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 then again that's you know that's really kind of bring this full circle. Like that's for for me, um that's where that uh that improvisation comes in. And that's where filling in that uh you know, knowing where the ending is, knowing where the beginning is, and filling in how we get there, uh, creating the meaning and creating the story and the journey for everybody. Um, and I don't, I don't know what happens between those two points. Um, a lot, a lot of times, that's something that that I actually I have really enjoyed as a dungeon master. Is um, you know, a lot of times people uh, set up these big these big dungeons and they're like, oh, okay, the you know the the goblin is hiding here and the trap is on this tile and if they step on this tile, this happens. And then there's uh, you know, and then there's there's uh, you know there's there's another goblin somewhere that's hiding and and they plan all of these things out um, and. Uh, what what I've really gotten a lot of enjoyment out of is just and and you know or or is just setting up a situation on the fly and not knowing how my players are going to resolve it. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, like a lot of um, again another game that I play in um, has had a, a not a ton but like a lot of a fair amount of puzzles in it, um, and it's been pretty frustrating um because the the dungeon master has uh, a great sense of of you know puzzle design um but not a really good sense of how to like communicate the rules of those puzzles to the players um so there's a very specific set of parameters that solve the puzzle and we as the players um have uh you know had a hard time figuring out what that's supposed to, what are we supposed to do right we know there's something that we're supposed to do but what is it um and so what I've actually what's actually happened um, in, in our game a few times is I've I've set up some kind of puzzle and I'm like, I don't know what the solution is. And whenever mm-hmm. the players arrive at one that I think is interesting, 
I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's how you solve the puzzle. <laughs> and, 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 and I think what the, what's, what's great about that is like that, that's this, this example of mutual authorship where like I'm setting up, I'm setting up the, the parameters, the players are coming up with the solution that, that I don't really, I didn't preconceive. Um, mm. and, and it allows for them to, uh, you know, feel like they've, uh, they've solved a novel problem or they've solved a problem with a novel solution. And then I get the enjoyment of like one, not having to do the work. Um, and you know, and two, uh, watching, watching these people, uh, you know, figure this problem out. And it's, and it, that's hugely entertaining for me. Um, so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't tell the other good. players eric uh, no. i mean they're almost certainly going to listen to this whole episode oh damn it um no it's fine it's fine so spe- speaking of char- not it not being clear what's going to happen what, what happens if a character dies in in like campaigns in general in your campaign because i don't think i don't think that ever happened i didn't even yeah i don't think that happened in either of the campaigns i was yeah part of um, we, we haven't had character death, uh, in, in our campaign yet. We've gotten pretty close a few times. Um, there was like a, a, a 12 roll that should probably have been a death and you, you let it slide. I'm trying to remember, was that with, uh, Nem hanging on the rope? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that should have, that probably could have been a death. But, and again, that's an interesting situation where I feel like the, um, you know, talking about the mechanics of the game as the mechanics of the game are, are a guide, right? They're not rules. And mm-hmm. I felt like um, uh, when a character dies, I want it to feel important because um, it's a big yeah. deal. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was a situation where I was like, you know what? I was like, that, that wasn't really like the drama, like Nem falling off the rope wasn't the drama that I wanted. Uh, there was another character in that same scene who potentially could have died, uh, who was who was picked up by the bad guy and thrown over a cliff, um, mm-hmm. and had uh, you know had some some roles not happened. Then um, there was there was an NPC who had to guess where that character was going to fall <laughs> and then catch them with a spell. Um, had that not <laughs> happened, like that would have been the kind of drama that I felt like would have. Uh, necessitated player death you know um but mm-hmm. like failing to grab a rope is like I mean, eh, that's that's not really what i'm looking for um yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um wh- what has maybe been- if it was a nine yeah maybe if it was a nine yeah <laughs> <laughs> um something that something that has been really interesting though um again to talk about like some co-authorship was uh uh in another game that i was playing um where a, a character of mine did die uh, it was something that i actually planned with the dm um, mm. and, uh, I, I, as a player kind of felt stuck in my character. Um, and I felt like, uh, he, he wasn't really working with the rest of the, with the rest of the characters and he, he felt kind of, uh, uh, pigeonholed. Um, and, and I, as a player felt a little, uh, like I did like a lack of agency because there's a ton of other players in this game. There's like, I think there's nine player characters in this campaign, which Jesus. which which is really which is has a ton of challenges to it. So I, as a player, was like, you know, I I feel like I am kind of lacking some agency in this game, and I feel like my character uh, um, is is too stiff. Um, so let's kill him, you know. Um, and so I had talked for the D, we talked with the DM for you know probably three or four weeks before it actually happened about like how do we make this character's death significant. Um, and what I ended up doing was, was 
it was the first character death in the in the game and it did a bunch of amazing things for the story right it like it like revealed the bad guy um it created a motivation for a bunch of the other players um who had grown to like this character um for seeking revenge um it uh liberated me as a player to play somebody else um it uh you know it 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 created it it propelled the plot forward it created this understanding that like there are repercussions and your players can die for the other care for the other players who are all first a lot of them first time players so like mm-hmm. you know character death can can be a uh uh can be great uh honestly <laughs> can i think can, i think i think character death can be can be absolutely awesome sometimes one of the best things that can happen in a game honestly um yeah yeah so does the person usually come back with another character or? or um, yeah, that? yeah, that was like, so in the game that I was playing where I planned my character death, I actually, I came back as a, uh, a non-player character that the party had met before. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a nice way to kind of, uh, you know, keep, keep someone familiar in the game. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but there's other times when it doesn't work. Like, you know, I've been in other games where a player has died um, and the uh, player character has died and, uh, you know, they've come back and it just, and it just, it, it didn't really fit maybe because they didn't consider well enough about uh, some of the fundamentals. Like what is this character's relationship to the, to the role, to the story in general or to the mm-hmm. other characters or uh, why is this character here or something like that? So, yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting how hard that is to do late in the game versus at the beginning of the game when it's all random anyway and everyone figures it out yeah. somehow yeah yeah definitely. yeah yeah definitely harder later in the game for sure although i will say that um i i, I, I did watch some of critical role which is uh for those of you who don't know a very popular what would you call it like a podcast or yeah you know yeah it's like a podcast long form where voice actors get together and they play uh dungeons and dragons and there's the one character who dies and then uh has to come up with a new character the the player has to come up with a new character and that but creates a new character but for me i really didn't care about the initial character at all and i was a lot more captivated by the character they created afterward and and i think too like uh that's a great example of um of of you know anonymity and uh play, like, like going to that party right you're like oh i you yeah. know i i played this character i i showed up to this party and i acted this one way i didn't really like the way that other people responded so i'm going to go to this other party right. and uh be somebody else you know mm-hmm. you're like i I'm, I'm playing this game i don't really like the way this character is working out so i'm just going to you know they're gonna die and be somebody else. You know, uh, and that's great. That's 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 a, that's an opportunity, right? That's like a proxy for ourselves that we don't get to have in real life. Um, we can't just, uh, you know, walk into a room full of familiar people and go, I, you know what? I'm the way that all of you perceive me or understand who I am. I'm just gonna be different <laughs> from now on. You can't, you know, that that's yeah. really hard to do, right? And that's really and hard. That's you know for for a lot of reasons and um, and uh you know especially for for people that are dealing with uh with like trauma or addiction right that's something that that's Mm. that's that being around the same people and trying to change your behavior is enormously difficult um and so uh you know a role-playing game is one of those opportunities where you can be around the same people and say you know what i'm going to be a different person right now and and you're going to 
uh, you're all going to get to watch me explore that new person um, mm. and try that out, right? Um, and and when you're playing a new character, there's there's parts of it that you might you might backpedal and go, oh, you know, I I didn't like that about that character, so I'm I'm going to change the way that I play them, you know, after mm. after maybe you know a few sessions or something like that. And mm. you you generally don't get to do that in real life, <laughs> right? Or it's or it's I much think... harder, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think that as well, on the flip side, the risk of death for your character is also essential for the characters that you do like and that you become attached to because it lends that very real risk that if, you know, if that character dies, then that person that you are and that you are playing, that you like being is dead and you can't be them anymore. Mm -hmm. That's very, that's very true. Yes. 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 That's, and, and, and it's weird in, in a way that like this thing that, um, uh, not just in the game, right. The game is entirely made up and we can, we can say, we can kind of like easily, uh, uh, say, Oh, well I lost that sword in the game, whatever it's all made up. doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Um, yeah. but, but the character, right. Is, uh, is that weird bridge um, between the game and real life where all of a sudden, if that character is gone, yeah, that because you've now, you've picked up some of that character perhaps of perhaps of who that character is um, when that character is gone. Um, you feel like part of, part of that has gone out of yourself maybe, or the opportunity to engage with that part of yourself through that character is no longer available, uh, which is sad. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think in a certain sense, like, you always will remember what it was like to be that person, like you were saying, with actors in their roles, and they will become a part of who you are in real life as well. Yeah, you might have a deeper understanding about death too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, about like how you are the entire universe, you know, like a constant, unending playing of form. And that all that exists and has ever existed will exist forever, playing out forever in it in every permutation. Definitely wasn't just reading from the page. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, and that's 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 like the. Um, I mean, and that kind of gets back to like what we were talking about earlier with uh, like James Terrell or uh, spectralism, right? Is that like that that is your perceptions are the universe, right? And. Mm -hmm. uh, um, there's there is that is itself you know forever mutable and forever changing um but but also you are uh a slave to its its constant presence right um mm. yeah and um I'm not entirely sure how to tie that back to dungeons and dragons but i do like the idea a lot <laughs> <laughs> well no because this ties exactly into the core question um this this is the the something that you brought up at the end of one of our sessions that was kind of mind-blowing to me which is your question you know if we care about our characters and become attached to them you know why and why do we become attached to ourselves as well our identities in real life mm -hmm. if we are just this playing of form that's always going to happen mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe you know, and, and maybe the maybe it's just biology, you know. Maybe, maybe it is just like that. Uh, um, 
you know, in the same way that like the spectral spectralism messes with your like, you know, the limits of your your ability to hear, you know, that uh um that through playing a character you are bound to become attached to it. Um there's kind of like mm-hmm. that that idea that like um uh love is just familiarity over time. Um mm-hmm. and that uh that love has uh you know there's there's like infatuation, right? And and uh and lust, right, which you can kind of like describe as all of these uh you can you kind of tied all of these chemical triggers of like dopamine and serotonin releases and things like that and um but but that love right the the idea of love is uh just exposure to something familiar again and again and again and again and again and eventually you uh you fear the loss of that right kind of kind of regardless of uh of, of what it is right even even right. maybe if it's even it's like a shitty relationship you know you're exposed mm-hmm. to that shitty thing again and again and again and again and eventually it becomes you know it's the present right it becomes the constant it becomes the present thing and then you fear losing mm-hmm. it so maybe maybe it's 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 something that we're just we're just stuck with you know our our biology just uh uh seeks and is affirmed by uh constants so the loss of them is worrying. So that that kind of ties back into the idea of postmodernism, the conviction that nothing matters. You know, whatever you do is okay, and it doesn't matter if you do it because it's all just another expression of the universe playing itself out. I don't know if I don't know if postmodernists necessarily say that. I mean, that's that got pretty like nihilistic there about like nothing matters, do whatever you want. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I feel uh, like I, I, I guess I, I probably conflate postmodernism and uh, and nihilism to some extent. I think I think nihilism though is like like uh, uh, <laughs> it's having a moment right now, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know you guys. I listened to. I didn't get to listen to the whole thing, but I listened to a little bit of like the the Doomer episode that you guys did, um, or one yeah. mm-hmm. one of the Doomer episodes. Um, yeah. Uh, and is is that maybe is that kind of Eric maybe kind of like where you're where you're pulling from is like your your experience with 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 that? Mm. I mean, it definitely is reflected in that, but it's experiences of even uh, even before I knew what a doomer was or was thinking about the same things that they're thinking about. Um, I mean, I guess one 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 experience I'm drawing from was a particular acid trip which was uh, the same time, Trevor, that you did acid for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, during that particular acid trip, I had the uh, perception that all of existence is you know, infinite. It's, it's going to keep going on forever, and no matter what happens, there will always be something. And so because of that, uh, every unique expression is a good thing regardless of what it is you know if it's murdering someone it's like well that me eric in boulder colorado murdering a person is something that's never happened before so it's good (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) not that i actually murdered it so yeah here's the thing here's the thing i think it's really interesting about that is that like i i think that the um talking about 
uh, talking about nihilism and talking about that idea that like all things are equal and therefore equally valid or equally good. I think that that is a uh, that's a very it's it's it is hyper rational, right? It's it's very mm-hmm. rigid. Um, yes, and I think that that is kind of like the ultimate conclusion of like anything that is pursued hyper rationally, um, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, the reason for me, at least personally, that it doesn't work, um, or, or that I, I don't feel like, uh, that I, that I can adhere to it. Cause I, I've, I've, I, I remember struggling with that. I mean, you brought up David Foster mm-hmm. Wallace. Um, I remember in your notes and we, I struggle with a lot of those kinds of things, um, when I was younger. Um, and you, when you, when you follow any kind of world perspective, uh, to its logical conclusion, that's what you're left with. Um, and for me, the thing that offsets that is the understanding that like the world is not logical. The world is not rational and, um, and that meaning is not rational. Uh, the idea Hmm. that I somehow care about this character that I made up and have just talked about with other people for hours and hours and hours, uh, and I fear them dying is not rational. Um, mm. and, and it's those kind of, uh, of, of soft, uh, unrational experiences, um, that, that just lead me to believe that like, uh, that's not where meaning is derived from. Um, mm. you know, I, and I think that you can, you can try, um, or at least, at least in my experience, you know, I, I, I've tried living that way and I've tried in, in, in engaging and it brought me to that space of like, you know, oh, do I just engage with this because um, it's just as important as anything else? And picking my nose is just as important as creating another, like a new masterpiece. Um, and the the reality is that, like, like rationally, does that make sense? Of course it does. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, does does my does my <laughs> does my biology feel that way? No, um, right. <laughs> it doesn't. You know, um, does mm-hmm. does that you know, can I refute that logically? Absolutely. Can I change the way that I feel about it? No. And, and for me, that's, that's like, um, where the, 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 uh, the softness and the irrationality creates meaning. Um, and I think that that's for, for me, where a lot of the meaning comes from with like with role-playing games is, is that it? Uh, there all there are all of these things that happen constantly in role playing games that we shouldn't care about. I shouldn't. I shouldn't care that my character, like you know, my fake character, um, like farts at an inopportune time. But everybody thinks it's hilarious. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no one should care about that. Um, it's not quantifiable. Like you can't. You know. Um, and even you know even like the game mechanics right there's there's all of these like the mechanics you you level up and you you're uh you gain new abilities and you gain more powerful items you know and and uh you know as the uh uh you know as like the uh, some of the internet people would say like the line goes up you know uh the numbers get bigger um but but the reality is that like mechanically it doesn't change anything about the game when you actually when you actually look at the way the game is balanced um the entire thing is structured so that a character will succeed roughly two thirds of the time, regardless of what they're doing. And all of the numbers uh, increase proportionally to one another so that that two thirds remains the same. 
So, so in essence, the idea that you like level up and have more hit points and your attacks deal more damage is just an illusion, right? It, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's a mechanical illusion that doesn't matter. Um, and, and it literally, it literally, on the average, extended infinitely, will never change the outcome of the game. The thing that changes the outcome of the game is the the, the continued uh, irrational engagement with the story, not the hard mechanics. It's like the stock market. Sure. It, it, I think there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities to draw there. Absol- absolutely. Yeah, that, that two-thirds number is also like, it's like close to the golden mean, right? Or like, mm-hmm. it, seems right. like it seems like, you know, the kind of like satisfaction. It's like, you know, however many times. You, uh, you could go to the casino where you win two-thirds of the time. was the best casino in the world. Yeah. You know, like that's, the, like that's yeah. oh, everyone's going to love that game. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i don't I, I hope that i hope that addresses what you i, I kind of like got a little uh uh a little no 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 uh, no you're totally right. right and um it, it's it's so fascinating because while i did have this experience on acid and it seemed like irrefutable afterward i have been able to follow different logical chains that lead to the exact opposite conclusion. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think David Foster Wallace explores really well. As you mentioned um, in his novel, Infinite Jest, there's this character, uh, Mario Incandenza, who's just this sort of like credulous, honest person who wears his heart on his sleeve, completely humble and vulnerable in the context of a highly competitive, highly scornful environment, and uh, that he is completely unbuffeted by that. And uh, I heard in an interview with David Foster Wallace, he was talking about how he's exploring this idea of post-postmodernism, I guess you'd call it, (laughs) (laughs) which is like the idea that... uh, postmodernism is derived from this sense of crisis where you know there's an impasse there's this sense of 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 crisis at you know nothing matters this idea that permeates so deeply into art in in uh, uh modern art in like uh, academia like like you know the spaghetti girl i remember you mentioning the spaghetti girl yeah no yeah, yeah. i don't i don't yeah. know what it is it's it's Trevor. It's it's the video I sent you like a couple of weeks ago. I, I I brought it up because Christina brought it up because she said she went to school with with the spaghetti go girl. Oh okay. I have a vague I have a vague memory. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That video. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one where the the girl like uh, reads a poem about like everything is shit, nothing matters, and then uh, like opens a can of spaghettio and. Um, cuts open her pants and fingers herself and puts the spaghettio in it and like urinates on mud and then leaves and then like everyone's like yeah art <laughs> you, know? You, know, you know what though you, you have to head it to her that is one hell of a performance I would not for sure I would not yeah. be able to do that in front of a bunch of people no, I, that is one 100%. hell of a performance um, yeah 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 it's interesting though you know talking talking uh kind of talking about david foster wallace like him exploring that idea through through mario like 
and, and I feel like that's something that that as as an author he is he is constantly touching on right he's he's mm-hmm. he's kind of like he's kind of poking it um but he never really gets there um and mm-hmm. and I think that uh that that's like um that's that's the fundamental problem that 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 I think you can you can run into right is that that um you can see it uh but if you unless you uh you know unless if if you continue to live that like hyper rational existence and, and instead of in, in, and just see it rather than engaging with it and living with it uh it's going to be a it's a it's not a fun ride um it is it is not mm-hmm. a fun time um definitely not and and i think that that for that for me i i actually had a bit of a crisis after reading a bunch of david foster wallace where i i uh i had that crisis and um and I ultimately had to decide, had to just decide for myself that I was like, this is, um, this is someone who I can't continue to read, um, mm. because I can't continue, uh, uh, as, as, as wildly intellectually entertaining as it is, like, like, like wildly, it's, it's almost drug-like, um, in that way, mm. read for, for me, like reading, like reading, reading walls and stuff, like, um, it, it fundamentally I felt like was a really unhealthy worldview for myself. Um, and, mm. um, uh, I, I couldn't keep engaging with it. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot, a lot about addiction too. Yeah. 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 It, it, Cause it's possible to hold, uh, these two contradictory axioms that, you know, on one hand, nothing matters. And then it's, you know, you can know that as a fact in your gut. And then on the other hand, you can know that, things do matter mm-hmm. and that's also equally true and they they contradict and so that 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 dissonance is just hard hard to stick with and, and yeah you know and i think yeah and i think though that like that's that for me that um uh uh that comes back to the uh the ability to like uh live with irrationality um being able to mm-hmm. to hold contradictions simultaneously and and not fall apart um, is really what makes existence possible. Um, I think that's the thing that makes, um, you know, someone as an artist, uh, a successful artist. I think that's something that, you know, we're, well, every single one of us is a, uh, is, is a walking contradiction. And, um, and if you, if you try to tease that out, you're going to ruin yourself. You're going to be miserable. Mm. Um, and the, uh, you know, and you will project that onto other people and you will, um, you will, you will, try to tease out and force out their contradictions um but the reality is that like you know all of us uh all of us live with them all of us have them all of us carry them and uh i think you just have to uh you have to you have to be able to embody both of them comfortably and and i think that 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 from from like a a, a storytelling perspective and like a writing perspective something that kind of relates back to that for me is uh looking at something looking at something that's like totally opposite to to david foster wallace's writing something like like joseph campbell um or looking at uh, star wars so this is an interesting way to bring it back to what we were talking about like nerd culture um looking at something like star wars like star wars is the sappiest shit ever you know it, it is. is it is it is so it is everything is cliched it is like we've seen it a million times but we love it we everybody loves it and if you ever met anybody who's like you know if you're like oh hey you know do, do you do you like this really fun movie that everybody loves and like no i hate it you're like well that person sucks 
You don't want to hang out with that person. You know, that person doesn't want to hang out with themselves. And and the thing that you have to be able to do is you have to be able to like, you know, look at Star Wars um, and uh, say, you know, this thing is is sappy and uh, contrived and uh, you know the the opposite of of what a rational piece of art should be, right? That or what a rational piece of creation should aspire to be. But we love it. And you just have mm. to deal with it. <laughs> like, Can I just say, though, I do not understand the appeal of Han Solo. I don't get why people like him. That's interesting. Why? <laughs> why? Maybe there's something to unpack here. Why? <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's like, he's supposed to be like roguish and like handsome and cool and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's handsome. I don't think he's like uh cool i don't think i he he just comes across as like shifty and unreliable to me <laughs> well, i think his whole so his whole arc in the first movie if I'm, it's been a while since i've watched any of these but i think the, the whole arc in the first movie is like yeah he he's supposed to give that that attitude of being kind of a jerk and like thinks a lot of himself and uh yeah doesn't really care about anyone else and then we realize when he he's comes weedly. back to wait what <laughs> I, oh sorry i just he, he's weedily that's that's the word weedily oh yeah um yeah but then when he comes back to save uh the the rebels on the death star then you're like oh he did care about people he did you know Mm. like he he does have have a heart (laughs) right i don't know it just maybe it's just his aesthetic that doesn't appeal to me i mean i don't know i mean maybe maybe like uh i think think deeper to like pull out of that um uh you know in that way that like you know i mean han solo as a character as is is the contradiction right like he is and i think maybe that's what's that's what's appealing about it is that you know he's uh he's a two-timing jerk um who's like uh a uh you know uh, a, a really shitty boyfriend for Princess Leia, right? Like you never, you never see him do anything that would be like, oh, you know, like yeah, they're good together. You never see that, right? But but for some for some reason, we're like, oh yeah, we want them to be together. Uh, and like you know, that's that's maybe like again, like embodying like that weird contradiction that we just for some for some reason like we we want that to happen. Um, and like that's the that's the cliche, right? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know yeah, well, that yeah, that is a very like cliche. Mm-hmm like kind of you know romantic tension yeah uh like device in movies uh it's probably kind of like shitty if you think about it like yeah it's it's a lot of times like oh you know she she's she's not into him but you know he's he's being like you know uh uh persistent yeah 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 Yeah, which is you know obviously not maybe not a good thing to like uh propagate um but i do think on the 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 topic of of contradictions, I do think it is good to examine them because uh, uh, you might realize that you're you're acting in a way that the other part of you would never want to act, you know. Mm. And mm. and if you can't actually resolve that and like stop doing the shitty things you're doing, then then I think I think that's for the better, you know. It's gonna and it's gonna be like tough, yeah, definitely. But I think you know. You got asked those, those questions. <laughs> that was that was actually an interesting way. Uh, one of one of uh, a character that I played in a game uh, that just recently ended, um, uh, whose name was Pasquale de la Fru, um, who was kind of this like this combination of uh, James from Rocket Power and like the Marquis de Sade, um, and. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> and like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Um, hey. And uh, and and you know, and he was just like this this spoiled, rotten uh, brat, right? And mm-hmm. and he always, you know, he was just like you know, completely self obsessed and um, uh, was always. Uh, leaning on his the wealth of his family and his parents to like just solve problems for him like he actually he actually had a a, he was granted a special power where he got to like uh summon a uh court wizard from his father's court that would like come and do stuff for him um and uh it was called like it was called like a favor from daddy or something like that so like this this was was, like a theme throughout his whole character and like um and it was funny because like it, it became this way for me to kind of like uh, in- interact with like the, the inverse of the way that I feel like I, I live with my privileges. Um, I, I come mm. from like a, a you know, re- relatively well-to-do family, I feel, and like um, have always been so careful my entire life to like, to like not press my privileges and to, and to not abuse those things that were given to me and to, uh, you know, to, to, not be this character like Pasquale. And so through playing that character, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna be all those shitty things in one person. And it was a blast. Like and I and I, you know, and, and so that was that was a way of like, you know, embodying a contradiction through a character. Um mm. that was that was wildly entertaining. Um and um you know and I think like kind of allowed allowed me to kind of like uh like process some um you know, conceptions I had around, uh, entitlement and privilege and, uh, uh, reliance on family and things like that. Um, Mm. so that was, that was very useful for me. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So we're coming up on the two hour mark. Maybe we should, uh, think of some closing thoughts. Oh, well, I was going to say on the, on the meaning thing also, I mean, I think, I think attaching, Attaching ourselves to things is kind of what you know pulls us forward, or the, the, the obviously like the desire for certain things. So like mm. you know you dream about like the the perfect partner, or you know having a certain job, or doing doing certain things, having certain experiences, and and you know I think for for most people like your your attachments to those things are are kind of what keep you moving forward, you know. Um, mm. And then I think as you go though, you have to you have to establish some some kind of sense of meaning that doesn't rely on anything right that like even if Mm -hmm. i lost everything that i would i would still be you know i would life would still be okay in the end you know because you you have this like kind of deeper you know whether it's you're just thinking about kind of the nature of consciousness or that you know how how miraculous it even is that we're experiencing anything at all then then that can kind of be your your meaning Mm -hmm. uh but until then you kind of do you you attach yourselves to things and and use those to kind of uh give you give you motivation and meaning Mm. Mm. yeah it's interesting and and i i for me and this is this is that kind of ties back into what i was saying about uh like navigating the uncertainty or like uh, filling in the unknown uh like the middle of the story right is uh you know we we think we think the meaning is the conclusion of the story, or we think that the meaning is like the uh, the um, acquisition of of whatever it is that we've been pursuing. Um, but I think that the, the actual meaning is the thing that we, we didn't expect along the way. And mm-hmm. and for me, that that's what um, uh, that's where like the the role playing game does really really well 
is that the you know the ultimate meaning for my players isn't this like end of the story arc that I have in mind. Uh, I don't I, it, as as proven like the big bad guy the the big character reveal didn't really even matter to them at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that I think the thing that's meaningful for them is uh, you know the things that you realize are meaningful along the way rather than uh, you know what, what it is that you think you what, what you think you're after right the thing that you think you're after is it is it doesn't actually really matter that much <laughs> yeah 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 and so and so when yeah. that thing goes away right it's fine mm-hmm. because you realize you come to realize like oh the, actually this didn't matter in the first place so it's okay mm-hmm. when that thing leaves yeah that's so true that was that was that was a great a great deep dive on the the nature of meaning <laughs> as seen through role playing games. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, it's exactly yeah, up, was... up the alley of stuff we do. <laughs> Love it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, try to do. Mm. Yeah. No, that, that was a fascinating discussion, and we're so yeah. happy you could join us for that. Yeah. Create it with us. Great. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank thank you so much for having this. This is I was looking forward to this, um, and uh, I'm really really glad I got to do it. So I. I I definitely will be thinking about a lot of these things too, and um, hopefully we'll we'll be uh, be able to you know implement them in whatever game we end up playing.